First John chapter five and verse seven. Many of you could quote this, no doubt. Someone asked me not too long ago, how do we know that Jesus is God? They weren't challenging that belief, but they wanted to be able to defend it. And so they asked the question, how do we know Jesus is God? How do we know that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that these three are truly one? First John chapter 5 and verse 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. If your Bible is missing a portion of that verse, it may not be a King James translation. Some of the other translations are missing part of that verse. Uh, but we see here that God, as we know God, is represented to us and indeed is characterized by this concept that He is a triune God. That there is God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and the living Word, which is Jesus. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, referring again to Jesus, and the Word was God. So these three are one. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, we read this. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, meaning completely. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is difficult for us to understand the concept of the Trinity. And I would declare to you tonight that I I truly feel that there are some aspects of that that will be a mystery to us as we walk in this world. We're not going to completely understand that. But I also believe that the Bible does give us some indications and some clues and some things that we can look and dig out that help us to understand it better. And one of those is in understanding ourselves a little bit. Now, let me be very clear when I say this. We're not gods, right? We're human beings and we're sinners and we make mistakes. In that sense, we are not like him. In another sense, though, we understand from the very beginning of the Bible that we are made in his image. When God made the animals... In Genesis chapter 1, and you read a little bit more about it in Genesis chapter 2, he said that the earth brought forth uh, the animals. And the Lord brought them to Adam and he named them. We also read that when the Lord made mankind, when he made the first man, Adam, he formed him out of the dust of the ground and he breathed the breath of life into him and Adam became a living soul. So we as human beings were brought out of the ground in the same sense that the animals were, but with one very important difference is that God breathed the breath of life into Adam and made him a living soul. And if you think in your mind, as we discuss some of the things, well, Brother Neil, that's sort of some kind of esoteric theological point that doesn't really matter in the modern world. (laughs) I beg to differ. (laughs) It matters greatly. Because if you see human beings as just being one more mammal, then what's the big deal in terms of what happens to us? Whether we're in the womb, whether we're old and in a nursing home, what's the big deal? 
If you understand that what separates this mammal standing before you from the four-legged mammal whitetail walking in the woods is not just the fact they can run faster than I can and smell better, but I'm smarter. It's the fact that God breathed into Adam a living soul. And so in every human being, there is an eternal component that never dies. The body dies. If the Lord doesn't return soon, we'll all die. But our spirit and soul go to be with him. And we read, and I've told you this before. I know y'all have read these, some of these things and you understand these things. But just as a reminder, we also read in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that Solomon tells us that when an animal dies, their spirit returns into the earth, but the spirit of man goes upward to God. So when we die, we don't just have our, our, our energetic life force vanish back into the elements from whence it came and our body decay. We've got something eternal that goes to God, that goes to our maker. And depending on the state of that spirit and soul, we spend eternity in one of two places. But be assured that every human being that's been created in the mind of God, that's been conceived, that's ever lived, is an eternal being. And that is an important concept. And if there was nothing else I could get across tonight, that would be enough. Because that really flies in the face of evolution. It, that belief forbids the possibility of abortion or euthanasia. Because we are made in the image of God, we've been given the breath of life by God, and we are eternal beings. Now, how does that help us understand the Trinity? Again, I've said some of these things before. But as I look out at you, I see your bodies. And the fact that you're sitting up, you're smiling, you're nodding, you're yawning, whatever you're doing. I know you have a spirit. Because if you didn't have the spirit, we'd be having a funeral service. In other words, if if the only thing that was left here on this earth was your body, if the spirit and soul were gone, you wouldn't be sitting up looking at me. Okay? I can see your body, and I can see a reflection of your spirit because you're alive. You have an energetic life force about you. Okay? It's hard for me to see your soul. And we'll look at that in a little while. And just like when we're thinking about the Trinity, the eternal Godhead, we understand that God the Son is the bodily representation of God as we worship Him, was here on this earth, was seen by thousands of people, healed people, went to the cross, He died, He was was laid in the tomb, He was resurrected, many people witnessed that. Many people literally saw the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I never have, but I hope to someday, and I believe in my heart that I will, and I'll see Him and worship Him someday. We experience God the Spirit. I hope we've all experienced that. When you feel conviction over your sins, when you feel elation over your worship, when you feel a sense of God confirming in your heart that you've been living right, that's the Spirit of God. And I've seen the Spirit of God in many of your lives. When you've done acts of kindness toward me and I've seen fruit of the Spirit, I've seen love, I've seen joy, I've seen peace, I've seen gentleness, I've seen goodness, I've seen kindness. I was witnessing the effect of the Spirit of God. But what about the Father? You know, the the Father is uh, almost a little more mysterious in a sense, is He not? Because because we understand from Scripture, James chapter 1, that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above from the Father of lights. 1 Corinthians tells us He's the Father of all comfort. We sang about it tonight, for our Father knows and He cares. But there's another sense in which maybe He seems a little bit removed from us. You don't hear a lot of sermons about the Father 
um, outside churches that still preach about predestination. <laughs> because when we're looking at our eternal salvation, that's the primary role that we see of God the Father in choosing a people, in election. God the Son came and died for those people. The Holy Spirit comes and gives them spiritual life. But you know, that happened before the foundation of the world. Does He still know? Does He still care? Does He have something in that sense, not that we're God and not that we can approach unto Him or fully understand Him, but in that sense, does He have something in common with us? Is there something there that we can understand about Him as well? And I believe that we can. In John chapter uh, 1, I quoted to you from the first few verses a while ago, but if you, tur- if you look with me over at John chapter 1, verse 18, uh, we read something else about God the Father. Again, we're trying to understand the Trinity a little bit better. And we're understanding that we're made in the image of God. As He is a triune God, perfect, sinless, undefiled, we are also triune beings in the sense... Even though we're sinners, because we are body, soul, and spirit. There are three parts to me. I can't separate them, but God can. He looks down and He sees the difference and He understands and He knows. Because Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us that the, the living word is quick and powerful and sharper than the two-edged sword, even to dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. That's the body. And we read in First Thessalonians just a while ago that God will bless us wholly, our whole body, soul, and spirit. Here we read in John chapter 1, verse 18, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. So even though John is saying, we saw Jesus, we saw the effects of what He did, we saw the influence of the Spirit, we didn't actually see God the Father in that sense. But there is a sense in which we do. Just bear with me. Now, children of God, I think, can appreciate this. People that are not born again, that don't have an interest in Him, um, will not. Um, But Jesus says this, if you move over to John chapter 5 and verse 36. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father Himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape, and ye have not heard have not his word abiding in you. So these are people that are not born again. They don't have the word of God, the living word in them. For whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. So here's one way that we witness and understand that there is a God the Father, and he does care about us, and he does love us, and he does take care of us. And one major witness that we have is that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. So we witness Him through belief, through faith. And that's why I believe the Lord says, He says He's talking here to some people who are not born again children of God. They don't have the living Word in them. And He says, you've not seen Him and you've not heard Him. Turn to John chapter 14, if you would, please. Bearing out further this concept, of one, one of the two ways we really witness God the Father is in belief and in understanding that Jesus and the Father are one. In John chapter 14, in verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, speaking of Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Now how is that possible? If he's in heaven, how have they seen him in Jesus Christ? Remember they're one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the one. Again, I told you I don't completely understand that. 
But this is almost as confusing as what Jesus said in John chapter 3, speaking to Nicodemus, and he said, who hath, a, who hath ascended but he that descended, which is the Son of Man, the same which is in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, um, I'm talking to you, but I'm also in heaven. <laughs> so there's a little bit of a, we kind of have to trust some of that on faith and wrap our minds around it. But, but, but read on down with me to what he says to Philip in verse 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. In other words, I want to believe, show me the Father. Let me see Him. Now, I realize we have a couple thousand years of church history and a, and a lot of Bible knowledge <laughs> that some of these brothers wrote down for us. I'm not being critical. I realize there were some things that were still veiled to them. Uh, <laughs> maybe they didn't fully understand that this Jesus that's, that's sitting there talking to them, that is God. <laughs> okay, that's God the Son, but He's also God the Holy Spirit, and He's also God the Father. And here's what He says, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, He doeth the works. We take that on faith. That when Jesus Christ came, He is the embodiment of God. He is God the Son. But He also has the Holy Spirit. He also has God the Father dwelling in Him. Are there some other ways that we can kind of understand this concept Though, as we are body, which I see your bodies, we're spirit. Again, I said, like I said, I see your spirits because you're, you're looking at me. I think you're all still awake. So I see the spirit there. <laughs> can I see your soul? <laughs> I can't see it, but there are ways in which I can behold it. Much like with God the Father, I've not seen it with my natural eyes, but there are some ways in which I can behold Him through the words of Scripture. Again, what, distinct, what distinguishes us from the, the animal creation? Well, we're not just body and spirit. We're body and spirit and soul. Amen. You know, uh, all animals have a spirit. Some don't have much of a spirit. <laughs> you ever been out working in your garden or outside, you flip over a board or something, and you see a slug under there? Now, that slug is an amazing creature. There is not a scientist or engineer on this planet that can create something as complicated as that little slug. But it's not highly spirited, is it? Some of y'all are deer hunters. That's what I love to hunt. I hunt other things, Brother Marlon. I love squirrels and stuff too. But to me, the deer is the embodiment of the spirited animal. Smart, intelligent. It's not much fun to hunt them on a preserve because then they're kind of like a cow. You want to hunt one that's a natural, that's got the spirit, that's, that's, that's intelligent and is a challenge. You know, your dog probably has a little bit more of a spirit than the slug. At least ours does. In fact, our newest uh, member of the canine family that we got a few months ago has so much spirit that about a week ago, I found out later, it climbed under my wife's car and chewed the wiring off. And when we went out and tried to crank it the next day, we found something was wrong. So our dog had enough spirit to figure out how to chew wires apart. Um, and Andrew had enough spirit, I think, to correct her away from doing that next time, hopefully. But we have a spirit, and we have a body, and we also have this mysterious thing called a soul. That's sort of hard to see, but it can be witnessed. And I'll tell you, as we look at some of these passages of Scripture, you're often going to see the soul manifested 
in times of great uh, distress. Or maybe in times of great pleasure. It's sort of more of the immutable side of you. You know, some days your spirit is up and some days your spirit is down, right? Um, some days your body feels great and some days your body feels tired. But the soul kind of holds things in reserve. It's sort of that more immutable part of you. And it's a little harder to see it. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 42. And let's look at an example of, of some people witnessing or recounting the event of witnessing the outpouring of the soul of another individual. There's, I can see your body, I can see your spirit, can I see your soul? Maybe I can't exactly see it, but I can behold it in a sense. Now here we have, uh, y'all recall Joseph in the Old Testament. His brother sold him into slavery in Egypt. He gets down in Egypt, has a hard, awful time, but eventually rises to a great position of power. Wonderful story. Um, his brothers, uh, you know, you just couldn't make this up. They end up having to come and ask his help. And, you know, he keeps them all from starving to death. And so he's kind of got him at his mercy right now here in Genesis chapter 42. And they're recounting what they had done before. And they're feeling really bad about it. And in verse 21, they say this. And they said one to another, speaking of the brothers, we are verily guilty. In other words, we are truly guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul. Again, I see your spirits that are animating your bodies tonight. I don't often see your soul. But here they are saying, we saw the anguish of our brother's soul. And when did they see that and how did they see it? When he besought us. We saw the anguish of his soul when he begged us. And what was he begging them not to do? They were taking their younger brother, who no doubt was a little bit spoiled and who had had some strange dreams and who kind of bragged about it and was probably a little bit annoying, but he's their brother. And they took him, they stripped his clothes, they threw him in a pit, they faked his death to their father, their poor aged father, who most of the rest of his life until a few years before he dies, thinks that Joseph is dead. And then they sell him into slavery in Egypt with no regard for what may happen with no sign of any love. And they said, when we did that, we saw the anguish of our brother's soul. When? When he begged us not to. And I don't know what the scene looked like, but I can just imagine little Joseph there, a young man, and these grown men are around him, and they're picking him up, and they're saying, this is the last time you smart off to us. And they strip his clothes, and they throw him in the pit, and he's laying there wondering, am I going to die? Please don't do this to me. You're my family. You see, that's where you start to see the soul sometimes is when someone is in an anguish and often is in an anguish of betrayal. And especially if you're betrayed by someone who's very close to you like that, like a family member just does you wrong. Oh, you'll see the soul come out then. You might have seen their body their whole life and you might have seen the spirit and the workings of their spirit and the days they laughed and the days they cried. But when they're down on their knees begging for their life, you see the anguish of their soul poured out. When he besought us and we would not hear. Oh, how sad is that? That's tragic, Brother Neil. Yes, it's tragic. Can you see the soul of another individual? You can behold it. You can see the reflection of it. You can taste the tears even. The soul is that seed of that deep emotion. We see it in other places. 
Yes, we do. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. There we saw the soul being displayed and being uh, manifest to these brothers in their time of betraying their younger brother who they should have been protecting. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we read about a woman pouring out her soul. And long story short here, for sake of time, she's pouring out her soul because she is barren. And because what we might call her sister wife, her fellow wife, uh, has made fun of her for it. And has derided her and put her down because she's unable to have children. And in verse 10, speaking here of Hannah, 1 Samuel chapter 1, And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou would indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and forget not thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart only. Only her lips moved. Excuse me, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken, because everybody else was. And Eli said, How long will thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered, She said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Here's someone pouring out their soul. Because they've been partly, they've been accused before the priest. He's calling her a drunk for praying. She's pouring out her soul before the Lord because she's barren and she longs for a child. The longing of her soul is that the Lord would give her a child. We saw Joseph pouring out his soul before his brothers in this dire situation where he's about to lose his life. Here we see someone pouring out their soul to God. Oh Lord, just give me a child. And what does the Lord do? He gives her Samuel, who goes on to become a great man of God. But do you see here how we behold her soul? Her voice is not heard, but her lips move. The tears flow. And guess who listens? God opens her womb and gives her that child. Oh, Joseph's brothers wouldn't listen. Some of those guys were pretty good guys. Some of those guys were pretty sorry guys, but the reality is they just sold him off into slavery. But listen, the Lord, God the Father, hears the travail and the cry of the soul. And he heard Joseph's cry, and he raised him up. And he heard Hannah's cry, and he raised her up. Turn with me next to Psalm 139. I told you earlier that One thing that distinguishes us from the other members of the the group of of creatures on this earth known as mammals is that we have a soul. And that has a lot to do with um, how we should view life and the importance of life is understanding that every human being has a soul and is an eternal being in that sense. I'm going to share something with you, and I hope this doesn't hurt anybody's feelings. And if it convicts you, if you've ever experienced this, I pray for you, and I don't despise you in any way. I hope this doesn't, that this isn't too shocking for anybody. But I just realized a few months ago that if, if we preachers don't stand up for righteousness and just call things like it is, we're in a mess. Now, Brother Tim does, and Brother Lee, every preacher I know of around here does that. 
Um, but I'm not going to apologize for telling you the truth. I hope it's not too shocking when I do sometime. You know, my uh, sons do some outdoor work in the summer. And last year they were working near an abortion clinic. And one of them came home and told us how the mixture of emotions they had when one day they heard screams coming from inside that clinic. It was a mixture of, of grief. It was a mixture of anger. Because what they wanted to do was, you know, just go in there and clean them out. And so we talked about that. And it occurred to me as I was talking to my wife about this one day. What they were most likely hearing was the travail of a soul. That's most likely a child of God who in the midst of that is realizing what they're about to do. And you are witnessing the travail of that soul. Psalm 139 says this, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. When a child of God in that situation realizes that they're ending the life of another soul, there's a cry. And maybe we hear it audibly like that sometimes, and maybe we don't. But that's the literal cry of a child of God that's been taught by the Holy Spirit, if by no one else, that that life they're ending is another human being. Maybe they were taught in school all their lives that, oh, you're a product of evolution. It doesn't matter. You're no different than a monkey. You just turned out this way by some freaks of nature. And we could have had, you know, green ears and, 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 and a purple head just as easily if, if, if the genetics had just fallen that way. No, we are made in the image of God. We are body and we are spirit. And we are soul and He designed us that way because He is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost and we're made in His image. Oh, we're fallen low. I know that. But He loves us enough that He came and He gave Himself to redeem us. I believe they were hearing that day the cry of a soul. Like the, the cry of Joseph as he pled for his life there beside that pit. Or the heart of Hannah as she poured it out without words even. Before Eli and before the Lord that day. So why does that, why does that matter, Brother Neil? Does God the Father and His eternal, immutable self, does He, does he know what we go through here? I mean, does he, does he understand that? Does He hear the cry of the soul? Does He know what it's like? Does He listen out? Oh, yeah. He does. He hears. And he knows. Jesus told the disciples that we read there in John chapter 14, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He told the wicked, you haven't heard him and you haven't seen his shape. <laughs> So we believe when Jesus was walking around that that was God the Father 
And that was God the Son. And that was God the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, we're one. I'm in him. And he's in me. And we're one. Okay. Well, where does that take us in sort of an experiential sense? How do we understand? Do we ever directly hear from God the Father? Well, they did in the Bible. They certainly did. At least three times. One was on the day when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. You'll recall that. That's one of those times where you see a picture of the Trinity all there displayed at one time in a, you might say, a visible or an audible way that those people could experience. And it was written down and recorded for us. Jesus comes to John the Baptist and says, you know, baptize me. John kind of says, well, you know, that doesn't really behoove me to baptize you. He said, no, this is the right way to do things. Baptize me. So John the Baptist. Baptist baptizes Jesus. He comes out of the water and there's Jesus. There's the son in his body and the Holy Spirit descends from heaven like a dove upon him. And what do you hear from heaven? You hear a voice that says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. See, there you hear the cry of God's soul, don't you? It's not the cry of Joseph by the pit about to die. It's not the cry of Hannah who's been bereft of a child. It's not the cry of some sinner over here doing some sin. It's the cry from the very soul of God out of heaven saying, this is my son. He is beloved to me. I am well pleased with what he does. I am well pleased with what he's become. He grew in favor with God and with man. You see it on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up and He's there and Elijah and Moses appear. And so you've got the three disciples standing there staring at three men. And they're looking at Elijah representing the prophets and Moses representing the law. And Peter says, let's make them all a little tabernacle. And you hear a voice come from heaven, right? Out of this cloud. And so you see Jesus there in the body. There's God the Son. You see the cloud of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is synonymous many places in Scripture with water. Children, what comes out of a cloud? Rain, right? Water. And then you hear this voice that said, This is my Son. Hear ye Him. From the eternal Godhead, God the Father Himself speaking those words. You hear it again in John chapter 12 when Jesus is giving one of His last discourses. And they say, And some heard this voice and some thought it was thunder. That's probably the wicked. And some thought it was an angel. That's probably the born again children of God. (laughs) But again, God the Father confirms that this is my son and I will glorify him. So when Jesus is walking on this earth and we're seeing the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're seeing the work of the spirit. God, the father's there, too. So you see God, the father speak out in affirmation. You know, sometimes the soul speaks out that way. Did you know that? Things that are very dear to the soul. Um, there's an old, uh, I don't know if it's old, bluegrass song that we sometimes play at home. And it says, uh, son, I tried to, to teach you the best I could. And, and the words go on and say, um, I try not to brag on you. I'd rather let others do that. Right? But isn't there an outpouring of the soul when you, <laughs> when you have children? Johanna was crying because she couldn't have any. I think there's a lot of poor women out there that have been deluded and and do away with their child and they're crying for a whole different reason. But isn't there a part of your soul that just kind of comes alive when you see your children get older and they accomplish things and you're proud of them? 
And maybe, I don't know what their activity is, you know, maybe it's music or maybe it's sports or maybe it's, it's something that they do and they just do this great job and you're just so proud and you beam, right? And you say, well, Brother Neil, was God the Father proud of his son that way? Well, he wasn't proud because pride is not of the Father. He was pleased. See, that, that pleasing, that pleasure is another, a positive way that the soul, you know, outflows. And let me, let me ask you children this. I don't do it enough. But does your heart not just glow when your parents sincerely praise you for a job well done? Doesn't it? Doesn't it just glow? Well, we see in the, you might say, the early days of Jesus' life, His ministry here, we see at least three times that God the Father speaks from heaven in regard to His Son. He loves Him. He's pleased with Him. I keep wanting to say He's proud of Him, but I know that's a colloquialism. It's southern speech, and God is not prideful in that way. But He's pleased. Now, I would probably say I'm proud of my son, but I probably should say I'm pleased. But we also hear this, you know, guttural cry in the last moments of the Lord's life. It also is kind of like a soul being poured out, if you will. In Matthew, the 27th chapter. Getting close to closing. I appreciate your kind attention. Here's Jesus on the cross. Now we've already we've already read or quoted or brought to your attention passages of the scripture where the Father speaks from heaven and people hear him in an audible way. Maybe some hear thunder, <laughs> some hear an angel, <laughs> but they hear something. <laughs> Because when the eternal God moves, um, people take notice. But we understand that by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, Jesus was turned over, if you'll allow me to use that expression, from the care of the Father into the hands of wicked men. And they entreated him like his father had treated him. And here we find him in Matthew, the 27th chapter, hanging on the cross. In the 45th verse, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land into the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard it said, This man called for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. And when Jesus had cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. And we read in Luke chapter 23 what that most likely that second statement was, that second cry. In verse 46 of Luke 23, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thine hands I commend my spirit. So here we have Jesus 
sent by God the Father, approved by God the Father, stamp of approval given by the overflowing abundance of the grace of God, saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, He's turned over to wicked men. And what do they do with Him? I'd say they did basically the same thing, the same attitude that Joseph's brothers had over there by that pit. When the travail of Joseph's soul was witnessed as he besought them and as he stood there facing death, what did they do? They said, we heard him not. And here Jesus is on the cross and he's surrounded by people and they see what's going on and they are laughing at him and they are despising him and they are and they are tormenting him. And I just it breaks my heart as I as I see him laying there and I understand why he's doing this. And I understand why he has been separated from that perfect communion and perfect union with God the Father because my sins are being poured out upon him. And Jesus feels it and he understands it and he knows it. And so he cries out here in Matthew, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is God the Father turning away from me? Why am I losing that fellowship? And he hear the people hear the cries. And what do they do? They don't hear it. Oh, they hear it with their ears, with their natural ears. But do they say, hey, let's help him out? No, they give him vinegar. I mean, come on. Maybe they thought it was some sort of medicinal properties, but I've told you this before. You all understand this vinegar is acetic acid. It burns. I mean, the man's been beaten. He's had thorns pressed into his head. He's bleeding. You don't rub him with acid. And then he goes on and you see in this last extremity, as he is hanging there, that the Spirit departs. And He says, Father, into Thine hands I commend My Spirit. And He gives up the ghost. And then you see Jesus in the same position that we'll all be in someday. Dead. The soul is gone. The Father's gone. The Spirit is gone. Now this is a body hanging there. Why? You know, we read in the book of Hebrews, the sixth chapter, that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, which is to say that we do have a high priest that can be. Why? He said, does, does he know what it feels like when someone pours out their soul in travail at the facing death? Yes! <laughs> He's been there. He's hung on the cross. And He had those. He came into His own and His own received Him not. As we read in John chapter 1, the ones that should have appreciated Him, that had the Old Testament prophecies, that should have known who He was, what do they do? They nail Him to a cross and when He cries out and they see the travail of His soul, what do they do? They don't hear Him. They turn away. The best they can do is give Him some vinegar and let Him die. Does the Lord God the Father know what it's like when His children pour out their soul in travail on the verge of death? Or when they pour it out in the time of when they're just seeking some something that they've longed for their whole lives. Like poor Hannah, you know, there at the altar just pouring out her heart and asking for a child. Yes, he knows that longing. He knows that separation. He understands. He watched his own darling son on the Christ cross die for us. Does he know how we feel when we suffer and we pour out our souls? Yes, he knows. And why did he suffer those things to be? For you and I. Oh, what a thought. Does our Father know? Does he care? Oh, yeah.
He knows. He cares. Can't imagine how he cares. I wish I could somehow be worthy of it. But I know I can't. But I think of him hanging there. The eternal Son of God. Having died for my sins on that cross. The admonition to take up my cross daily is a little easier to follow. Is it not for you? When I understand that I'm, I'm hindered by this body, and even though my spirit has been born again, and my soul longs for heaven, there's things that hold me back. There's things that hurt me in life. There's things that get in my way. There's times like you, where if, one, if someone had been standing beside me, they would have seen the travail of my soul. But I think about how much the Lord loves us. That knowing all that and understanding what that would be like and understanding the pain as only God could see it. That he went ahead and did it anyway. It gives me some hope. You know, and I'd say to you, if you've never followed the admonition of the Lord to take up your cross and profess him and follow him and submit to believers' baptism, the Lord would have you do that. And I would also ask you tonight that we would pray for our country and for our nation that the cries of those souls that don't see this and don't understand it and are getting themselves involved in things that are destroying them, that they would turn back to the Word of God and just see the simple beauty of understanding that we worship a God who's three in one. He's God the Father. He's God the Son. He's God the Holy Spirit. I don't completely understand it. But I tell you, a three in one God is certainly worthy of my worship and He's certainly capable of taking care of this three-in-one wretch that stands before you tonight. And I thank you so much for your time.